0: The Free For All Roundtable.
1: Round one.
2: On round one today, he's already live in studio distracting me, John Burnside, Toronto City Councillor and TTC Chair is here, Matt Gurney is a journalist, co-founder of The Line, which is an online magazine, Tamara Cherry from Pickup Communications, good morning to everybody, and actually let me start with uh, John Burnside, since you are a City Councillor, how are we doing with snow clearing operations, what's it looking like out there?
3: Well, in my area it was pretty ugly. You were doing Uh, the shoveling yourself. Yeah, I actually had a staff member taking phone calls on the Saturday, because it's such a hot subject in uh, the word I represent maybe that's a good thing that people are so concerned about the snow and not what el- whatever else is going on um, but I learned a lot of terms like pregnant elbow which is on a crescent you know the crescent and the curve of a crescent where all the snow builds up so I was dealing with a lot of pregnant elbows pregnant elbow I had not, see I thought it was a medical disorder but it's uh, urban geography <laughs> all right um,
2: listen speaking of uh, getting around the city college street getting an upgrade to Mar- Cherry, uh, I just know at 9.05, Jerry Agar is probably going to come bursting in here like the Kool-Aid man and uh, go off on the fact that we're putting in more protected bike lanes. But it just seems to be the future of this city
0: something that should have been done years and years ago and i'm like i'm always happy to see separated bike lanes i'm obviously no longer a cyclist in toronto i don't live there anymore and more often when i am in toronto which is fairly frequently i'm in an uber and not in a driver but i think that this is important not only for the safety of cyclists but for drivers as well and for passengers who are zooming around in taxis and and ride share you know just just uh, a few days ago i was booking an uber in Toronto for my husband, as it so happens, not for me. But And I got, uh, you know, a notification that you are pulling over in a high cyclist area. Please be mindful when you open your door. Like, people shouldn't have to worry about that because it is it's detrimental to everybody, obviously, first and foremost, the cyclists. But we need to be putting safety first. And I think this is a, a cycle in the right direction. Yeah, Matt Gurney, I'm surprised, to be perfectly honest, at the number of protected
2: bike lanes that have been introduced in the city because it used to be such an incendiary thing.
1: Yeah, I, and I think when it was incendiary, I surrendered. Like, I just gave up having opinions on this issue. I didn't have the emotional energy anymore to be invested in bike lanes and where they go or where they uh, don't go. Look, we, we all know the safety benefits, particularly of separated bike lanes. I think, to, to Tamara's point, we all know we're on this trajectory here. I just don't have the ability to get fired up about this anymore. And if Jerry does come through the wall like the Kool-Aid man to talk about this, he just has more energy to spend than I do. And I I say that with both envy, but also concern. Look, it's a dense city, particularly downtown. It's only going to get more so as the years go on. I've moved on on this issue. I I I can't get fired up about this, and I'm consistently amazed by the culture warriors who still can.
2: Okay, well, John Burnside, I have no idea what your position on uh, protected bike lanes is, but I do find that over the last four or six years, John Tory was, as I've called it, Bloombergizing the city and
3: with not a lot of objection. No, I mean, uh, Jerry needs to understand that it is part of a master plan to make it so unbearable uh, to drive that now everyone has to take the TTC, which I'm now in favor of. (laughs) Um, But seriously, I'm... I, you know, I'm not a, I don't cycle that much, but it makes sense to put bike lanes where there's transit. So on Yonge Street, where you have a subway under, under, uh, underneath it, underground, or on College, where you have a streetcar. It makes sense to, to sort of put all that together. What I'd like to see is the province, because ultimately it comes from them and the city, deal with these uh, e-scooters. Because I find them, you don't hear them coming, they go really fast and they're in and out of traffic and you know, more people are gonna get killed. Okay, so you want them what? Have... Uh, regulated. Okay. Yeah, they, like whether they need plates or whatever the case is. I was actually walking my dogs on a path and there were uh, five guys came up on these scooters and they had the helmets and I said, well how fast do these things go, like 30, 40? He goes, oh well, no, the one my friend's goes 120. Wow, okay. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. What? That's,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so listen, speaking of things at uh, City Hall, uh, what is this business about the cleaning
3: protocol and how it was snuck into the budget, and uh, what's the real story here? Uh, You know, I I heard the story actually this morning while I was walking my dogs listening to you, Um, (laughs) but (laughs) that's where I I find out what's going on at City Hall. Thanks, John. Um, Look, I mean, it's a lot of politicians seem to me to be, some of them anyway, uh, dogs barking at, at cars. It's like everything is an outrage. Like, you have a $16 billion budget. I really don't think that's the councillor's concern, is when you get into the minutia of uh, cleaning services. That said, we need to, in government, we need to be responsible and right-size. We have staff coming in two days a week. City Hall is almost uh, deserted. You don't need the same amount of cleaning. And I challenge the councillors who are talking about uh, public health and risk to safety to actually tell me what the what the um, suggestions are in terms of cleaning services.
2: Well, and Tamara, the guts of this is that apparently, unbeknownst to people who didn't read the entire budget, which would be everybody, uh, there was $500,000 in savings because they were scaling back on cleaning at City Hall. I've been there recently didn't notice it was a filthy dump so I'm pretty okay
0: yeah and and when it comes to what the gut the guts of the argument is on the side of um, people like Josh Matlow and and Paula Fletcher I couldn't really get to it because reading the story I mean I I watched Natalie Johnson's story on CTV Um, I read the story on the CTV website and for on one hand you hear them complaining that Uh, City Hall is basically going to be turning into a dump and our health and safety are all at risk. But on the other hand, you hear them saying, we're not taking care of the people who are most vulnerable among us because we're cutting back their hours. And how can we have people afford to live in this city of Toronto if we're only allowing them to work 30 hours a week? But ignoring the fact that City Hall that these civic centers are gonna be closed extra time. Like it just, it doesn't make sense. I agree with John that I think that there's some counselors that just like to bark at every passing car. And this is one that really, we don't need to be wasting our time on. Okay, well, let's jump to a
2: few other things then. And Matt Gurney, uh, provincial liberals regrouping in Hamilton this weekend. They're the number three party. They've lost two election cycles. So I won't say I don't care, but I can't be all that preoccupied. This is a real sort of inside politics story.
1: Um. Yeah, you know what? It's an interesting one. Here I am going off-axis here. I would much rather talk about this than bike lanes. Give me the rest of the segment. I'll talk about the third-place party. All right. Um, <laughs> no, look, all, all kidding aside, what I find interesting about, and I want to take the national view here, is most of the provinces in the country, everywhere west of Ontario, and uh, including also next door in Quebec, the provincial liberals are basically dead. And what has happened is that under any other name, because sometimes the party names are different, you've got a a right-wing party and you've got a left-wing party, and the party in the center has died. It looked for a while like that was going to happen in this country federally as well you guys all remember about 10 years ago plenty of op-eds were being written writing off uh the federal liberals but then they came back and in ontario they also showed some uh real resilience and they won a, a surprise government in 2014. what we're looking at now potentially is the future of the Ontario Liberal Party. Are they going to thrive? Are they gonna come back? Are they they gonna form the next government, or maybe the one after that? Or are they going the way of all the other Liberal parties and just disappearing into nothing? And the reason I find this fascinating is because, right now, someone is an exception, and I don't know who it is. I don't know if it's the other provinces that are the exception, or if Ontario is the exception that has hung on to their Liberals longer. But what I will say is this if our provincial liberals are in trouble, if they are kinda on the, the glide path into oblivion here, how are the federal liberals gonna recruit staff, volunteers, fundraisers? Most of the federal liberal strength is in Ontario, and I don't think they can hold that without a provincial version.
2: No, okay. And John Burnside, I know most city councilors have a certain affiliation with one of the national or provincial parties, I don't know if you do.
3: Um, well, I've actually worked for both. I worked uh, in 1995 for Mike Harris, and, uh, in, uh, and yeah, just 95. And then uh, I actually became very close to Kathleen Wynne. We're, we're, we're very good friends, and I've worked hard for her as well. So I've been at either extreme on the, uh, on the spectrum, but right now I just like to criticize. Okay. More barking at passing cars. Pretty much. Okay.
2: Uh, Listen, I want to get to this story. Maybe it's uh, part of my demented mind, but I find it very compelling. It's about a woman who wants to make 52 friends, one friend a week for a year. And Tamara, I mean, I guess you might be uniquely positioned to talk about the notion of friendship. And incidentally, this woman's going to be our guest in the next half hour. uh, Because you moved to a new place where you probably had to start all over.
0: You would be wrong, John. Uh In fact, so when I when I read this story over the weekend, I was like, "No, this." Honestly, it was it just made me feel exhausted because I think, like you were saying earlier in the show, John. I think that the like the fewer friends for me, the better. And in fact, and I I'm I'm hesitant to say this, but I feel like I can because my friends in Regina don't listen to this radio station. All of my close friends are still in Toronto. I'm there on a semi-regular basis. Every time I, I go there, we, we get, I get together with my closest friends uh, for dinner, you know, wh- wherever possible. Um, but I just, I don't have time for anything other than family and a very close group of friends to the point that I really don't even see my friends who I grew up with and who I used to come and visit in Regina when I was living in Toronto. I just like, I don't have time. Like the idea of 52 friends, I want to say to this 25 year old, stop because you are not going to have time for all these people in 10 or 15 years from now. No. Okay, Matt
2: Gurney, you and I being media people have a lot of people who we might say are friends, but they're not really friends at all.
1: Yeah, or they're friends at a very low level. They're the someone that I can call in a favor from, or they could feel comfortable calling in one from me, someone we stay in touch with online. But I think often like media people, John, as you say, some of us who write and talk the most are actually quite introverted in our private lives. And I have found that over the course of the pandemic in particular, that I could almost echo entirely what Tamara just said. And I've had the feeling of late that I would much rather be focusing on a smaller number of people who matter more rather than cluttering up my life with more social obligations which is how i would view meeting 52 people in a year god bless this young woman especially if she was lonely that's a terrible thing we've all been lonely and i wouldn't wish that on anyone but boy do i ever have no appetite to do what she's doing
2: john burnside in politics it's another field where people even in the house of commons they say my friend opposite and they're not a friend at all
3: well you know what I, I lost the last election and uh all of a sudden, my friends disappeared the next day. And, I, and you know it's coming, right? And that's sort of the industry uh, you're in. But I'm actually on a different quest, which is actually to shed friends. Uh, my thing isn't so much time, it's tolerance. And as you get older, and I guess that's a sign of age, you just you don't have the same level of tolerance. And uh, although that said, my girlfriend and I are always looking for people to travel with us, it's really hard because everyone has different things they like to do. We're lazy. We like to go to a museum for half an hour and then go to the beach. Uh, hard to find people that want to do that. I'm in. Let's talk about it. Uh, Listen, thank you very much. John
2: Burnside, Matt Gurney, and Tamara Cherry, as mentioned, uh, the woman who is on this mission to make 52 friends will join us at 8.20. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 7.45. Round two at 8.45. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.